0: It's been quite a few weeks, hasn't it, if we're honest. Not only have we all been battling with COVID-19 and a new way of being, and a new way of trying to understand the world. On top of that, of course, we've witnessed the death of uh, George Floyd. We've had riots. We've had curfews. And you may have even spotted this week that we had a little earthquake just to keep us on our toes. I feel like you can always spot a Californian because when an earthquake happens, they don't even notice. Everyone else around the world gets all scared for us. But uh, over these weeks, we've had so much to face, and if you find yourself this morning struggling, feeling low, feeling heavy, feeling stressed out about the events in our world and not knowing how to respond, then I hope uh, Paul's words to us this morning from Colossians chapter 2 will be a blessing and will be a hope to you. Last week, I spoke about this wonderful little seven-word phrase, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and how that not only is the content of our hope, but it's also the means by which we communicate hope to other people that Christ lives in us and that that makes a difference in our world. But those, of course, are so challenging worlds. I mean, you, w- words, aren't they? You might be a person as you walk down the street every morning that you know, people literally look at you and go, wow, there's something different about you. you. know, I'd like to give my life to Jesus there and then on the spot. I mean, if you are that person, um, bless you. But for the rest of us, we've got some work to do in this area. We've got some growing. We've got some learning. And so I want to look from Colossians chapter 2 this morning at three things that Paul says will help us live as people of hope, particularly in dark and uncertain times. And so we're going to have our reading this morning, which comes from Carla, who's one of our team from Colossians chapter 2. Hey
1: everyone, it's Carla here. The reading this week is Colossians 2, 1 through 15. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands Having canceled the charge of our illegal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross.
0: It's amazing how God's word speaks to us. This passage for today, I didn't choose recently. This is just the next in the series that we chose to go through Colossians quite a long time ago. Interestingly, the words of this passage are written on the wall uh, behind the camera today, painted there by the church where we're meeting at the moment. And I believe that they are powerful, important words to God's people in a time like this. So here's three things that Paul has to say about how to be a church of hope. The first is this, be bold, in Jesus. Be bold, people of God, in Jesus. Everything that we need to live a life of hope is found in Jesus. Paul says that all wisdom, all understanding that is available on earth actually originates and is found in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity God lives in bodily form, and in Christ you've been brought to fullness we do a little devotion in our family every day and one of the devotions this week i thought was really good it didn't help our kids to learn math but it was called god math and it says this christ plus nothing is everything everything minus christ therefore equals nothing In the mess of the world, there is an event, there is a person, there is something that holds together all the things that don't seem to make sense, that provides light into the very darkest parts of the universe, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to any question you can ever ask. When VKids starts up again and you send your kids in, if you want them to get extra credit, then all they have to do is go and answer to Laura every single question, the answer is Jesus. She'll love it for about two minutes and then she'll get very angry and cross, but It'd be funny to watch at least for a bit. Jesus is the answer to all of the questions and life. So in this moment when we aren't sure, we're not sure what to say, we're not sure what to do, we're not sure even where to go and how to act. Paul tells us that in the words of Jesus, as well as in the life and death of Jesus, we find everything we need to know how to live. And that means three things. Paul says. The first thing it says is this: one is we cannot add to the words of Jesus. We can't add to the words of Jesus. Paul's letter comes because people have been infiltrating this new church plant and saying, hey, God is great. Jesus is great. The gospel is great. The words of Jesus really change everything except that what you need to understand is Jesus is only good to a point, And what you really need is to put on top of Jesus all these extra things that will help you make sense of the world and help you be right in God's eyes. They were the things of circumcision, the things of the Old Testament law, and Paul wants to say, no. In Jesus, we have everything we need. A whole bunch of years ago now, a rich uncle—you know, everybody needs a rich uncle—gave to Laura and I a really beautiful gift at Christmas. It was a bottle of Château neuf de Pape of a very good year. If you don't know what that is, it's an extremely famous and very expensive red wine from the south of France. We took that bottle of home home the bottle home like it was a little baby to our family and we placed it in prime position in our apartment. We had to wait for the perfect moment in order to open the bottle of wine. We had to let it breathe. We had to get it to the right temperature. We had to decant it. We had to look like we had any idea whatsoever what we were doing with a bottle of expensive red wine. We had to make comments about its structure and its body. We had to make comments about its smell, its aroma and then of course we had to drink it in such a way that made us look like like we were wine connoisseurs and not complete amateurs in the world of wine. It was, I'm pleased to say, a really good bottle of red wine. But can you imagine what would have happened if we'd have taken that bottle of red wine and we'd have opened it and gone, well, it's pretty good. Let's just add a little bit of Coke. Let's add some red wine. Let's add some white wine. Or let's let's just add some beer to see if it'll taste any better. It would have been absolutely sacrilegious. The wine in its own form is exactly as it should have been. And it's the same with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're told that nothing can be added. Nothing can be added to what Jesus is. So when we think of Jesus, we can't treat him like Jesus gets us so far. But why don't we, in this moment, add some Buddhism? Why don't we add some New Ageism? Why don't we add a little bit of other great ideas from around the world? Because that will have the answers that we need. You no, know, he says, in Jesus, we have everything. The second thing Paul says is that we can't subtract from Jesus. He says in verse 7 that we are rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You know, it's tempting, I think, isn't it, to see See Jesus in these kind of moments when it's politically complicated to see Jesus as maybe less than he is. Well, you know, Jesus, he was great. 2,000 years ago, he did some nice things. He said some good things from the little that he understood about the modern world. He didn't really understand everything. And so we take Jesus down to being some nice moral teacher, somebody who had maybe some helpful things to say. We turn Jesus into a nice guy and we turn our churches just into some good news, some social gospel. And yet, Paul reminds us that it is in Jesus where everything finds its hope. We can't reduce Jesus. And equally, and finally, Paul says, we can't change Jesus to suit our needs. Now, I know you know this, but when we, when we read the words of Jesus in the Gospels, we all do it through what theologians call a hermeneutic. We do it through a lens. You know when you get those Instagram photos up and people have used all those different filters, so you can take the same photo and you can see it in slightly different ways. It's the same filter, but it all looks just slightly different because different colors are accentuated in different filters. Paul says it, and Jesus says the same when we read uh, the gospel because what happens is that, you know, me as a white person who is 30 years old living in Los Angeles, I read the gospel just very slightly different through a different set of lenses to maybe somebody who's a farmer in Bangladesh or maybe somebody who's a tribesman in parts of Africa we all look at the gospel just very slightly differently through a lens, but yet we see the same words of Jesus. In fact, as we bring those things together, we actually get the full riches of the the gospel as we stand side by side and look from our different angles and so we're told that we cannot change jesus i think one of the things and i'm going to speak a little bit to the situation we've seen on the news in a moment but one of the things that has uh, alarmed me and hurt me is the way that jesus has been used to justify all sorts of different arguments over the last week not just from one side But from all different angles, people have used odd words of Jesus to suit their needs. And yet we're invited, Paul says, to look at Jesus as a whole in his fullness, to take all of the words that he had to say that are on offer, to think about a systematic hold. And that means that, you know, not everything we see which has Jesus' name on it is necessarily of Jesus' Jesus, though, offers us the most incredibly challenging way to be a human being. I don't know if you've read the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. If you haven't, I encourage you just to go back and back and back at the moment. Think about what Jesus had to say about the poor, the lost, the lonely, what he had to say about those who were minorities in our culture, those who were downtrodden, those who were beaten, what he had to say about our resources and our wealth, what he had to say about heaven. The words of Jesus are outrageously challenging. And so I wanna ask you this question. How are you immersing yourself? How are you immersing yourselves in the words of Jesus? It seems to me like you know, the weirder that the world becomes, the more we need to focus in, to laser in on what Jesus might have to say about our lives and our situation. What I've come to find in my life that as the storms of life have become rocky, what I need is that an anchor that holds me in firm ground that stops me being tossed around. And that anchor, Paul says, is Jesus. Because, he says, what Jesus brings is unity in love. You see, our praise in verse 2, that they would be encouraged in heart, united in love. And as I watch the news, gosh, boy, do we need some of that in this moment. When I was 18, so... Well, just about five years plus a bit ago, I had the beautiful opportunity to live in South Africa. If you've never been to South Africa, it is one of the most beautiful countries on earth. And for the first part of the time there, I lived out in the countryside. I lived um, with some African families, but in an area where there'd been a lot of racial injustice. There'd been a lot of fighting. It had been a very dangerous area. But I grew to love, loved the local people from all the different races and backgrounds that were in the area. But um, after a while, I was invited to move. I was invited to go and live in Alexander Township, which is one of the townships in the heart of Johannesburg. If you know Johannesburg, you know it's segregated into different areas. And in the northeast part of Johannesburg is Santon and Alexander Township. Santon is one of the richest, most affluent areas in Africa. There are five star hotels, there are beautiful restaurants, there are shopping malls, it's beautifully clean. But just a few hundred meters across a major road is Alexander Township. In Sandton, they have glass skyscrapers. In Alexander Township, they have tin huts where people live in one or two room dwellings. There's barely any sewage. There's barely any water. There's barely any electricity. It's a sign of the incredible injustices and racial problems that that have plagued that country for a very long time. But I was invited to go and live, live with one of the families in one of these little tin huts. And I remember going to bed the first night, listening to gunfire going off because of the different gang warfares between the different racial groups. The next morning when I woke up, I was designated the driver. And driving in Johannesburg is always challenging. Driving in Alexander Township is extremely dangerous normally. They've actually taken out all of the traffic lights along the roads because if you were to stop in your car at a traffic light, it's very likely that somebody would bring a gun and take your car and maybe even your life from you. I remember saying to this guy, you know, am I safe? I am literally the, the only white face anywhere to be seen in this area. Am I safe in this place? And he said to me, he said, Ben, you are safe. Because you are known, because you are loved, because you are part of us. You didn't come here to tell us what to do or how to act or how we can be better. You came here to serve us and care for us and be family with us. And you know, he was absolutely right. In all the time I lived in South Africa, the safest I ever felt was living in the middle of that township. Right now, there is so much inequality and injustice in our world that we're witnessing isn't there. But what the gospel of Jesus Christ does is it unites different people. It unites us. Um, I have this great privilege of being part of the Clergy Coalition of Pasadena, the Clergy Coalition Community, which is a whole bunch of different pastors from different races across Pasadena, and we include the chief of police and we include city officials and the head of the health care and the head of the school district. And once a month we get together and we pray. And last month I had the privilege of being able to address all those different people and tell them about the good news of Jesus and why it's made a difference and why he walks with us in times of wilderness. But one thing that one of the leaders of that community, who's an African-American pastor in Pasadena, said, he said this, "Is he hey Ben, we need you here. We need you. We need your voice, we need your perspective, we need you to be part of our community because as we stand together and brothers and sisters in a difficult, tough moment, we all can be part of a solution and not part of a problem. We can can model something that is different and beautiful and better. You know, I feel like as I've watched the news these last weeks, I have so much I don't know so much I don't understand, so much that I want to educate myself with, but I realize that we are part of the body of the Christ, which is centered on the gospel of Jesus, which has the ability to transform the world if we will take it seriously. So Paul says we need to be gospel-centered. Paul also says that we need to contend for our brothers and sisters in prayer. He says in verse 11, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for those who have not met me personally. I feel like sometimes prayer seems like a weak action. When, you know, you're in one of those conversations and someone's sharing their heart and, you know, they're really struggling and you say, well, brother, I'm going to pray for you. And it sounds a little bit like, well, I'm not really going to do anything because I'm too busy or I don't really have any resources to deal with it, but I'm going to pray for you. It's like a last ditch effort. But yeah, Paul talks about prayer in a totally different way. Prayer is central to Paul's strategy for seeing God's kingdom come on earth. Prayer uses the word, uh, Paul uses the word contending, which is not a word of violence, but it is a word of battle. It's the same one he uses in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I fought the good fight. I fought the good fight. Paul recognizes that everything that we ever see on earth is actually the effect of something that is caused in a spiritual dimension. Now, if you want to know why there's COVID-19, if you want to know why there is injustice, you want to know why there is suffering, you know why there's racism, all of these things come back ultimately to a spiritual reality between good and evil. And when we pray, Paul says, things change. We contend. And he says we contend for different things. He says we contend for people that we know really well. He says he contends for his brothers and sisters who would have been the church leaders in that community. He stands with them. He prays that the gospel will be central in their lives. He prays that they know the riches of Jesus. But he also prays, secondly, for a whole bunch of people who were acquaintances, maybe people he'd passed in the street, people he knew from a distance. And then thirdly, Paul prays for people that he had not even met yet, that they would experience the love of Jesus. I wonder in this moment, as you watch the news, as you go through Pasadena, as you've seen the riots, as you've seen protests, how is it that you are praying in this moment? Who are you praying with These have been difficult and painful times, haven't they? As I've watched the death of George Floyd, as I've seen the riots in our city, there's so much that I don't know. But I do know that we are called to pray because, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if one part of our body suffers, every part suffers with it. We are called to be part of the story of healing and hope in our world. Who are you called to pray with, to contend with in this moment? And then finally, Paul says this, that we need to be people in difficult, dark times who keep going, who keep going. I don't know this morning, maybe you're feeling like I barely made it out of bed. I'm not even sure if I can make it through a church service because I'm feeling so heavy. But Paul says to the church, keep on going. He delights and prays that they would be disciplined and how firm they are in their faith. Um, you know, I feel like that is the big challenge of our moment. We can't be a church in the space with each other. We can't hug one another. We can't share meals together. We look out at the world and it can sometimes feel scary. But yet Paul asked that we would keep on keeping going. You know, the the challenge of of COVID-19 for me has been that I don't know when the end of it is going to come. I know that there will be an end. I know that one day scientists will find a way for us to be over this and there'll be vaccines or whatever else might come along. But until then, I don't know when that's going to be. It might be one week, it might be two weeks, it might be one year, it might be who knows when it's going to happen. And sometimes being a Christian can feel the same, can't it? We know that one day Jesus will return and finish what he started. But until then, we live in the uncertainty. We live in the brokenness. We are agents of light in a place which sometimes feels dark and we don't know when the end's going to be. But we are invited to keep on going. As I stood on the steps of City Hall this week with many of the African American leaders of our community, with pastors of all different races, different denominations, different chases, today together we prayed for change. And we recognize that change might not happen overnight, but change comes when we collectively work out the values of the kingdom of God now and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day as we keep our hearts fixed on Jesus, as we refuse to turn to the left, as we refuse to turn to the right, as we refuse to back down, as we refuse to accept racism and inequality, injustice, as we return to what Jesus has to say about the world and we be his followers. We can and we will see light come into the darkness. And I believe this is a moment for the global church to take a stand, to take a stand on the things of the good news of Jesus, to return away from our politics, away from our racism, away from our fights, away from our differences, but together to collectively turn to Jesus. And as we turn to Jesus, we will see his kingdom come and his will done in ways that have not happened, that God is working right now through you and through me, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't see it, even when we feel broken, we are called to be agents of light into dark places because Christ lives in you and he lives in me, the hope of glory. So I want to finish by praying. I want to pray that we would have a fresh revelation of Jesus in our lives, that Jesus would be enthroned again in the darkest places in our society, in our world, and in our hearts. So will you pray with me?